The Astrea Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. Book Three, The Wanderer's Curse. Chapter Thirteen, in which Astrea boards Cygnus. Astrea woke at dawn. He was sitting up and putting on his jacket before he realized that he was no longer aboard Seafoam, and that nobody was expecting him to take his turn at the helm. Instead of a task he knew he could do, he faced a complicated set of uncertainties, opinions, and consequences that somehow he had to resolve. Estrella could not sit still, so rather than waking his friends, he decided to go for a walk. He pulled on his soft boots, tiptoed to the door, past the blanket-wrapped shapes that were Arneb, Cam, and Damon, and was pressing on the catch when he was startled by a whisper. "'The door squeaks if you don't lift it,' said Skarm quietly. They went out into a grey, misty morning of late autumn. Estrella looked at the old man who was holding a blanket around himself, his feet bare on the stone doorstep. "'You came back for us,' said Skarm. "'More than we did for you. Twice.' "'You weren't skipper,' said Estrella. "'Don't matter. We let it happen. Same as now.' "'Talk to them, Skarm. You understand about the men of the sea. You did all along, but you didn't say how evil they—we are.' "'Not you, Estrella. Not your da.' You're trying to make it right. But the skippers can't... We can't... Skarm changed his mind and took a different tack. We know sailing and fish and everything that's here. But you can handle what's out there. you got a crew that's with you, no matter what. Even the man with a cut on his face. He's one of them, but he's following you. It's his boat, Estrella began. See what I mean? You're skipper to him. He thinks you should boom the gap. And young Cam thinks different, and so do you. But they'll do what you decide. Trouble is, we won't. Maybe can't. Least not till they're on us. We'll fight them then, and no mistake. But then it may be too late. What can I... Estrella began... "'You've done all you can,' said Skarm, and shivered. "'I got to go in, light the fire, get me clothes on. "'You go to that brave lass you found. Never mind us.' Grasping his blanket around him with one hand, he patted Estrella's arm. "'I'm proud of you,' he added. Skarm padded back into the cottage, his bare feet silent. Estrella stood frowning at what he had heard. He would have argued with anyone but Skarm, but his respect for the man who had taught him so much kept him listening to what he said, even if much of it contradicted everything Estrella was feeling. Estrella started uphill. He had no conscious plan or destination in mind. He simply needed to feel the earth under his feet, to sniff land smells, and to be in the village when there was nobody awake with whom he might have to talk. He reached the bridge and paused to look down into the stream as he had done so often as a child, but the water was in shadow. He listened to it rushing over and around the rocks in its bed, and shivered in the autumn mist that coiled around him. 
He pushed his hands deep into his pockets, and as he closed his fist around the shipstone in its case, he also felt the smooth, cool silver of his dolphin gorget. He twined his fingers in the chain, drew it out, and held it in the palm of his hand, recalling the exhilaration of winning the race around Cygnus. Whatever the villagers might think, it was a part of what he had become. Astrea hung it around his neck. He continued on upward, past familiar cottages, in some of which he could hear the sounds of people rising, lighting fires, and making the first meal of the day. He found himself reciting the names of the families in each home, in a litany so familiar that he could not imagine a time when he had not known it. These were the villagers he had sailed north to protect, if he could, from the worst that he had seen on his travels. He owed it to them simply because they had been around him for almost all his life, even though most of them had never accepted him as one of them, and since his return thought him even more strange. As he picked his way silently up the path that narrowed the higher he climbed, he heard a muffled bark from inside the cottage he still thought of as Roaring Jack's. He kept climbing up the steepening track, heard a door open and close behind him, and then the drumming of four feet. He paused and turned to greet Skip, who bounded towards him, pushed his head against his leg, and stood swaying his tail back and forth while Astrea ruffled his ears, as they had done so many times before. When the dog lifted his head and gazed upwards at him, Astrea noticed that his muzzle was frosted with white that he had not noticed, or perhaps it had not been there when last they met. Skip's head close to his left knee, Astrea climbed on up towards the last cottage, which had been Alanna's. As he approached it, he became aware of why he had woken, dressed, and walked away from where Skarm lived. It was not that he had a purpose. It was that he had been drawn to his destination. The mist cleared as he climbed higher. Alanna's cottage was forsaken. Pine needles lay on the path to its door and swirled around the two stone steps that Estrella remembered as always swept and clean. The windows were as blank as a blind man's eyes. Dead branches had fallen across the roof and skittered down to hang over the eaves, waiting for the next storm to carry them to the ground. Estrella stood and looked, wondering why he felt nothing. Calmly, he committed the scene to memory as if seeing it for the first time. Whatever he was looking for was not there. Skip at his heels, he climbed on upward towards his favourite tree at the fork in the path, where one way led up to the sheep meadows and the other to the village cemetery. Skip ran a little unsteadily ahead of him, expecting that they would sit together in their spot between the big roots. Astrea's feet carried him past the tree, on toward the gravestones that watched over the village where their owners had once lived. The grass was autumn brown. The flowers that people had planted on the graves had long since finished blooming, and only the grass was green with the last growth before winter. A cloud hid the sun, and there were no shadows. Estrella walked carefully around groups of gravestones where generations of families had been laid to rest together. Stones memorializing sons and husbands lost at sea often stood close together 
some leaning towards the graves of the women who had grieved for them. His feet carried him to where a fresh stone stood a little apart, as if leaving room for a companion. When Astraea bent to see the name, he had to read to the end of the three formal given names that nobody had ever used, until he saw the last two words in a different, clumsier script. Roaring Jack. Astraea glanced around, saw stones for Jack's mother, one sister, two brothers, a cousin, a sad little stone to an infant daughter. But he could not see the other new stone he was looking for until he glanced to where the meadows sloped up toward the rocks at the forest edge, and he saw two, side by side. In three strides he was standing, looking at the fresh-cut name, Alana. His mind a blank, he listened to his own heartbeat thumping a steady rebuke that he had not been able to prevent her death. His shadow fell beside the stone as the sun rose over the headlands behind him, revealing the smaller letters of her father's and mother's names. He sat down on the grass. Skip regarded him solemnly, and then as the sun came from behind the clouds, he retraced his steps down the hill, leaving Astraea sitting, staring, overcome by absence and emptiness. Astraea was only dimly aware when Skip returned, it was not until the big dog's tail rhythmically slapped his shoulder that he got slowly to his feet and looked back down toward the village. Everything he remembered, the gravestones, the village below, the fjord, the headlands and the sea in the distance, were where he expected to see them, but all were blurred and distorted. A movement caught his attention, and he blinked to focus on the figure in white breeks and jacket that was picking its way through the gravestones towards him. He shook his head and felt the morning breeze cold on his cheeks as if he had splashed his face with water. Lindy, he said as he saw her more clearly. The sun glinted on her blonde hair as she came closer, and her eyes looked up at him, wide with concern. Astraea, she said, and putting her fingers on his cheeks, brushed away tears he had not known were there. They buried her alone, he said. Not quite, said Lindy, and pointed to the much older gravestone near Alana's. She read the time-blurred letters of a single name, Estrea, and then in smaller letters below, The Man from the Sea. They carved his real name, Estrea exclaimed. But they got it wrong, too. It's Man of the Sea. I don't think it was a mistake, said Lindy. Someone knew and deliberately changed the words. Scarm, said Estrella. Nobody else could say my father's real name, much less spell it. It's here again, on her stone. He looked again at Alana's stone, almost at the level of the ground, and obscured by dead grass, he read, Beloved wife of Estrella cut into the stone in smaller and somewhat less skilful letters than those above. I've been sitting here, and yet I didn't see. My father's stone has been here all my life, but I never really... What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you, Astraea. Her face blurred, and he rubbed his eyes and looked into hers. 
but I've brought you here to this, to this lunacy. Estrella, I'm so sorry about saying that. I was angry, angry at the skippers, not you. If it makes you feel any better, I've been punished for my words many times over by listening for most of the night to Molly telling me how bold, unspoken, and unsympathetic I am to the lovely boy, that's you, who brought me here to help save the village. Molly said that. She understood. Molly isn't stupid. Even if she let herself be a punching bag for that horrible man who abandoned you. Roaring Jack wasn't. He was a wife-beater, Estrella. He took me south, Lindy. He chose me as a crew when nobody else would. He just wanted your sketches. If he hadn't, I'd not be standing here with you. That's... Well, that's so. They looked at each other, thinking of the complicated sequence of events that had led to the moment. There's what you want to happen, Lindy began, and what just happens anyway, no matter what you wanted. Estrella completed her thought so exactly that she did not try to speak. For a few heartbeats they stood and looked into each other's eyes. How did you find me? Estrella eventually asked. Molly? And Skip? Skip heard you go by the cottage. Molly let him out and saw you going up the hill. She woke me up and told me. By the time I was dressed and going out the door, there was Skip, waiting to show me the way. Skip submitted to being patted by both of them, and then turned and sauntered back down the hill. Estrella moved to follow him, but Lindy took his arm. He saw the corners of her mouth curl upwards in the beginning of a smile. Estrella? Yes? Before we go... She raised her head, they kissed, and went on kissing for a time that neither of them had any wish to measure. Eventually they both became aware of the world around them and stood, holding each other, neither wanting to move. Suddenly they clutched at each other as if they'd both been struck from above. They staggered and almost fell. The mind-numbing force left as suddenly as it came, leaving them staring into each other's eyes, the world around them out of focus. Wow, Estrella, you certainly are a powerful kisser. I didn't, I mean, we... She chuckled, and Estrella's protests evaporated as his eyes met hers. I know. But if that wasn't it, what hit us? Cygnus Shipstone. Like when we were in sea foam? Estrella nodded. Only this time we were on the receiving end. Dabby did that? He must have. But why? He must know where we are from the landfall sketches. Perhaps he was just making sure? And by doing so, giving up the advantage of surprise. Could it be a warning, then? Maybe Dabby was trying to tell us something. That he could nearly blow the tops of our heads off? Let's hope he doesn't try again. At least until we're behind something solid. A mountain would be good. Let's get lower down, where we're protected by the headlands. He let go of Lindy and pointed. A longboat, and they're going to try the gap. The longboat, gaff-rigged like a fishing boat, was sailing north on the starboard tack in a light onshore wind. As they watched, 
It turned into the gap with the sailors easing the sheets as they prepared to run downwind into the fjord. He doesn't know about the morning wind, said Estrella. Cold air pours down the sides of the bay and swirls around until it forces its way out of the gap. It's perfect for us when we're leaving early, but exactly what he doesn't need to come in. Any moment now he'll... There he goes! The longboat sailed between the headlands into an invisible jet of air that hit the lee side of her sails, thrashing the boom from one side to the other in a murderous arc. He's into the whirlpools! We have to go! He led the way down the track at breakneck speed, leaving Lindy behind him. Fortunately, the path was somewhat smoother soon after they had passed Alanna's cottage, and she finally caught up as they burst out between two bait shacks onto the wharf. Then they were climbing from boat to bobbing boat, clutching at masts and stays to remain upright. When Estrella leaped onto Seafoam's foredeck, he almost cannoned into Cam and Damon, who were raising the sails. Lindy saw what was happening and slowed in time to climb down into the cockpit without bumping into our neb at the tiller. "'What took you so long?' Cam demanded. "'We were up the hill, above the village. We saw,' Estrella began. "'We know,' said Damon. "'We all felt it. Is our neb all right?' "'He got us up and down here faster than I ever would have thought.' "'Without no breakfast. Here, let me help.' "'Jib's up, Neb. These two'll have the main, soon as they sort themselves out.' "'Lindy, Cam, cast off,' said Estrella. Seafoam slid away from the moored boats in a graceful arc on the starboard tack. Estrella swung down from the foredeck on the boom, landing between Lindy and our Neb. "'The wind,' he began, "'twists around the bay. Seen it before. Not here. Take the helm.' Estrella shook his head, ducked down, and looked under the boom. Cam was sitting on the bow, one hand around the forestay. "'I see him!' he yelled and pointed. "'Ready to jibe,' said Arneb. As the bow started to rise and fall to the swells coming through the gap from the open sea, the wind, which had been gentle at first, suddenly gusted. Unlike the longboat, Seafoam's crew was ready. Estrella hauled the main sheet so that the boom only snapped across a forearm's length. Damon and Lindy were not quite so quick with the jib, but after a few moments when sheet and sail clattered, they had it drawing on the starboard tack. "'Ready to brail up,' said Arneb. "'Brail!' Lindy pulled, and the mainsail folded on itself, the boom rising towards the mast. "'Luff the jib,' said Estrella to Damon. "'Let it go loose.' Seafoam slid upwind toward the longboat, which lay on its side, half full of water, most of both sails flat on the water. "'Ain't nobody in her,' said Cam. As they came alongside the longboat, Estrella scanned the water, but there was no sign of anyone swimming. Tight eddies twirled on either side, and between them the water humped into swirling boils. The longboat suddenly rolled towards them and righted itself, the mast and sails left the water and hung wet and flapping in the fitful wind. "'There is someone in it!' Damon shouted. A man's head and an arm appeared over the gunwale of the waterlogged boat. Estrella and Damon leaned out over the water and grasped at the longboat's trailing sheets, 
they drew the two boats alongside, they drew the two boats together, and while Cam took the longboat's bow line aboard, they hauled the man out of the longboat by the back of his jacket and into Seafoam's cockpit, where he slumped at their feet. For a moment they all thought he must be dead. Then, with a heaving, racking cough, the sailor raised his head. Supporting himself on his forearms, he spat, coughed again, and struggled into a sitting position. His hair was plastered to his head, and most of his face, and a trickle of blood slid down from his scalp. Estrella went down on one knee. Mirak, he exclaimed. "'Where's your crew?' "'Gone.' "'How many?' Two. One whacked by the boom. Tried to recover him. Worse than useless. Lost the second man trying. Both of them down a whirlpool. Then I jibed again, and she rolled. As he was speaking, Arneb gestured to Lindy, who released the brails, and Seafoam's mainsail started to draw, slowly pulling both boats across the outgoing rush of wind toward the sea. Cam and Damon clung to the longboat as best they could, but they were soon unable to hold on, and it started to slip astern. Cam secured the boat's bowline to Seafoam's stern deck. The wind freshened, threatening to roll the boat a second time, but the sails flapped and the boat steadied upright. The tow-rope tightened, and the longboat surged forward, a smooth curve of water flowing over its stern into the sea. Do that a few times, and we'll save her, said Estrella. Estrella, said Merak, I kind of thought you'd be here. Not a lot of thanks to you, Merak. What can I say? I was following orders, same as today. Which are? Find you. Tell you to surrender the shipstone you stole. Or? Or they do the village, same as Spindrift. "'Send him after his crew,' said Arneb, looking at Mirak coldly. "'Who's they, Mirak?' Estrella demanded. "'Mufrin's men all deserted.' "'Not all of them.' "'You're a liar, Mirak. I know that now. Don't do it again.' Mirak grinned weakly. "'You've been learning, young master. You're right, of course.' Things ain't all that good aboard sickness, and there's them that would take to roughing up a few fishermen, especially after a ration of Peg's poteen. And if I gave you back the shipstone? Oh, I then, young master, you got the master's word as one of the family that he'll sail south and think no more about it. And if we believe that, you'll sell us a bag of wind we can save up for the next time we're becalmed, said Cam. Deep six him? and any that follow, boom the gap, starve them off, said Arneb. Estrella stood, looking down on Mirak. He spoke slowly and deliberately. We're going to bail out your longboat, and then you and I are going to Cygnus, where you'll explain that he can't attack the village, because, as you now know, he can't sail the ship through the gap. "'And if you try and sail this boat in, he will never let you leave a second time,' said Cam. "'I'm coming with you, Estrella,' said Arneb. "'Me too,' said Damon and Cam at the same time. "'You two have to take Lindy back to shore in sea foam,' said Arneb, 
Lindy's blue eyes were fixed on Estrella, and her lips moved in a vehement denial that he tried to ignore. "'Spill the wind, Arneb, please. Cam, you and I'll bail the longboat.' They were now in the middle of the main bay, battered back and forth by the morning winds that still gusted down the uninhabited arms of the steep-sided fjord. While they had been talking, more water had spilled out of the longboat, and when they came alongside for Cam and Estrella to climb in, it came barely up to their shins. They bailed vigorously until it receded to their ankles. "'Back on board, seafoam, Cam,' said Estrella. "'Estrella, you're out of your flaming mind. That Mirak's crooked as a crab's claws, and if he don't sell you out, then that miserable family of yours will.' "'Look after Lindy,' said Estrella. Something in Estrella's tone silenced the fresh spate of objections that Cam was about to let loose. Grumbling, he climbed over the gunwale into seafoam and took over the helm. Grumbling, he climbed over the gunwale and into seafoam and took over the helm so that Mirak and Arneb could board the longboat. Arneb staggered as he went from boat to boat and would have fallen had not Estrella caught his arm. Estrella opened his mouth to tell Arneb to stay in seafoam, but Arneb raised two fingers towards his lips. The gentle gesture was more convincing than a shouted order, and with an unhappy frown Estrella nodded. "'You'd better helm her out, Estrella,' said Arneb, slumping onto the centre thwart. Estrella and Mirak hardened in the sails, and the longboat began to pull away from seafoam. At the last moment Lindy climbed swiftly onto the tiny stern deck and leaped. She would have made it if her foot had not slipped. As it was, she fell with her waist across the longboat's transom and hung on, her legs trailing in the water. Arneb took the helm as Estrella helped her struggle into the boat. "'She's quite the lass,' said Mirak, who was sitting amidships in a pool of water, leering at the way her borrowed clothes clung to her body. "'Enough from you,' said Lindy. "'I haven't forgotten the wharf at Charton.' "'Lindy,' Estrella began, "'and if you think I'm going to let you go off with Arneb "'without someone sensible to keep both of you from making fools of yourselves, "'then you'd better think again.' Estrella took a breath to argue with her. "'We're on course for the gap,' said Arneb. "'You take her.' "'With an effort,' Estrella looked away from Lindy's determined expression and took the helm in time to adjust both direction and sails as a final puff of morning wind took the longboat from behind and pushed her seaward. The feel of the tiller in his hand told Estrella that he was in control, for good or ill, and all his hesitations vanished. Slowly at first, then gathering speed despite the water still slopping around their feet, they rushed towards the gap. Ignoring the spray fountaining up from rocks on either side, Estrella looked through the gap and beyond, searching for Cygnus. Arneb went down on his knees and reached between Estrella's feet to the transom. "'Bung's out.' "'Won't we sink?' Lindy asked. "'No, lass. We'll go faster and faster as the sea pulls the water out of the boat, until we're dancing on the waves,' said Arneb. All we have to do is remember to put the plugs back in when we slow down. Estrella caught Mirak's calculating look as he first held up his left hand to look at the ring on his finger, and then shrugged when he saw Estrella checking his clasp. 
Mirak twisted to face ahead and expertly hardened in the jib-sheet as Estrella brought the boat close hauled on the starboard tack. It was, as Arneb had said, the longboat continued to gain speed as the water disappeared out the holes in her transom. Rigged to look like a coastal fishing boat, it did not carry the press of sail that had brought sea-foam northward, but lacking the extra weight of the cabin, it sailed at the breakneck speed that Estrella had learned to relish. Despite the dangers into which they were racing, he was curiously grateful that both Arneb and Lindy had ignored his plan. "'He's good, isn't he?' said Mirak. "'I taught him.' He received a withering look from Lindy. "'There she is,' said Arneb, as they emerged from the protection of a spur of the cliffs and saw Cygnus idling along the coastline before a southeast wind under main, cruising foresails, and one jib. "'Upwind pick-up, starboard side,' said Mirak. Estrella nodded, concentrating on making his approach. "'You'll want to make yourselves look like my crew,' said Mirak to Cam and Lindy. "'Jackets under the gunnels.' Lindy frowned, but they did as he suggested. She was concerned that Estrella appeared to trust Mirak, whereas she did not, particularly when he appeared helpful. However, as Cygnus loomed closer and closer, there was no chance to confer or argue. She looked up at the salt-stained side of the ship, where two ropes dangled, hooks at their ends, and she tensed in anticipation of disaster. The sound of water rushing along the ship's side filled her ears, and she crouched as Estrella steered still closer between the ropes. She gasped when at precisely the right moment he and Mirak grabbed the hooks and secured them to rings in the centre of the boat, and then threw their arms into the air. Then she almost tumbled face first, as the boat lurched upwards from the water. Shaken, and feeling incompetent to contribute to the precise sequence of their actions, she could only try to stay out of the way while men let go the halyards and bundled the sails. The longboat lurched again as unseen hands swung it over Cygnus' deck, and most of the mainsail slid onto Lindy, felling her to her knees on the bottom boards. She could feel the boat swinging inboard, but could only guess at what was happening outside the wet canvas over her head and shoulders. There was a solid thump beneath her as the longboat met its cradle, and since she was no longer swaying back and forth, she tugged at the sail until her head came clear. She was about to get to her feet when she saw Estrella's hand motion her to remain low. Irritated by his protectiveness, she was about to protest until she heard him speak. Mufred! Estrella's voice sounded slow in his own ears. He'd been expecting to bargain with Adramin, not to be Mufred's unfinished business. His first thought was that Mufred should not see Lindy. Stay still, stay low, Estrella said quietly, carefully not looking at her. Lindy drew the sail back over her head and peeked cautiously over the gunwale. Leaving her covered by the sail, Estrella vaulted down onto the ship's deck and landed in a crouch, his right hand reaching for his knife. Mufred was three quick paces away, staring at him. Estrella stood up slowly and stared back, hoping that his face did not reflect his confusion, noticing that Mufred's left hand was gloved. Behind him, he heard the voices of sailors who had hauled up the longboat, and then the thump of feet hitting the deck. A part of his mind hoped that they belonged to Mirak or Arneb, not Lindy, 
but he did not turn his head to find out. Instead, he looked toward Mufrid and widened his gaze. Members of the crew stood in the waist of the ship, looking at the quarter-deck, where they were not allowed to go unless ordered. A second glance revealed two faces looking out of the stern companionway, only a little above the deck. Black hair on one head and chestnut on the other told Astraea that Dabby and Becky were standing on the steps watching. Dabby looked ahead to check the course, and following his glance Astraea saw the northern headland that guarded the village. In a moment he would be able to look through the gap as it came abeam. Then out of the corner of his eye he saw a long knife in Mufrid's belt, its blade bare and dangerous. So, nephew, here we are again aboard Cygnus. Surprised to see me, aren't you? It seems that both of us are hard to kill. Last time Walt, that freak of nature, saved your neck, but this time it will be different. I'm master of Cygnus now. Do you know what that means? Having wrecked your own ship, you've stolen your son's. Astraea saw Mufrid's thin lips compress and the corners of his mouth turned down. Frowning, he looked past Astraea. Report, Mirak. Astraea did not take his eyes off Mufrid as Mirak's voice came from behind his back. Past the headlands, taken aback by a gust, jibed. Boom carried one overboard. Rescue failed. Second man joined first in whirlpools. Mirak's voice was clipped, formal, without feeling, quite unlike the conversational way he had talked aboard the longboat, when he had appeared to be trying to be helpful. Aboard Cygnus, Mirak was taking refuge in obedience. Mufrid eyed him cynically. Whereupon, all by yourself, you righted the longboat, bailed her out, sailed ashore, called upon your remarkable powers of persuasion, talked yourself into a crew to help you sail back to the ship. Uh, not exactly, master. Arneb and I rescued him, said Astraea, for a price, he added. The muscles under Mufrid's left eye twitched, but he spoke smoothly, avoiding Astraea's eyes. Arneb, 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 I remember your name. I heard it several times from more than one man. They were wondering where you were, Arneb. So did one woman in particular, as I recall. She said she was your wife, I think, but then she died rather suddenly, so I could be mistaken. They all wanted you to help them. But you weren't there, were you? Behind him, Astraea heard something between an oath and a growl, and the sound of a clumsy fall onto the deck. Mufrid barked an order, and there was a rush of bare feet along the deck, followed by the sounds of a brief struggle. Mufrid smiled mirthlessly. Clenching his teeth, Astraea conquered the urge to look behind him, and continued to watch Mufrid, who stared back at him, his eyes narrowed. "'Tell me, Arneb,' Mufrid continued smoothly, did I award you that particularly repellent facial decoration before I gutted the tongueless idiot who thought he could outdo me with a knife? The poor fool didn't so much as cut my jacket. Mufrid did not take his eyes off Astraea while he spoke to Arneb. Astraea met Mufrid's stare, one part of his mind taking note of a slight 
twitch at the corner of his left eye, signalling that Mufrid was having difficulty maintaining his taunting, overbearing manner. "'And so, little nephew, with Arneb in good hands, so to speak, what's all this about a price?' Mufrid's tricks of voice and eye, designed to impress his will on those at whom he stared, no longer had power over Astraea. The price of the shipstone in my pocket is that you leave the village alone, he said firmly. It was the opening gambit he had devised for Adramin when he had anticipated matching wits with a cousin he might possibly persuade, not an uncle who was older, more experienced, and infinitely more ruthless. Astrea's only hope was that he sounded confident enough to start a negotiation. To his surprise, Mufrid uttered a short bark of cruel laughter. <laughs> and then we all live happily ever after. Astrea pressed on with his plan because he had no other. No, there's more. You take me back to Charton and you repair elusive for me. Mufrid regarded him quizzically, as if wondering whether to take the stratagem at face value. That's it? Trading on Mufrid's curiosity, Astrea plunged ahead. You'll be Grand Master of the Fleet. The fleet. There are three shipstones. I have one. Dabby has two in Cygnus Forbidden Room. We find or build another ship, and there's one for you, one for me, and one for Adramin. That's so ridiculous. It's almost clever, said Mufrid. Except that Adramin isn't in the running for master of anything. He's locked up, waiting for me to return to deal with the consequences of his mutiny. Perhaps, provided he hasn't already bled to the death he so richly deserves. Astrea was momentarily nonplussed by the second switch to his expectations. Fortunately, a fresh voice interrupted, claiming Mufred's attention. You told me Dramin was taking care of repairs to Elusive, Dabby said accusingly as he climbed the remaining steps up the companionway, Becky at his side. What did you do to my brother? He's not your brother. He's not even family. He only looks like us. That's why I chose him. Mistake. Oron the old devil must have known. So no class for Adramin, and soon no Adramin. Never mind. I've got young Estrella instead. Estrella heard muttering from men standing as close as they dared to the stern deck. A distinctive voice rose above the murmur and the continuous sounds of the ship. "'That's right!' Peggy quavered. "'I always said Dramin wasn't really one of them. Young Dabby is, though, and the other's the one—' Mufrid's face darkened. "'Shut that old woman up!' "'Won't do you no good. The truth's out. The one foretold is back, and he's the one you can't kill!' "'Silence, old woman!' Watch, and I'll prove you wrong. Mufrid's right hand swept across his body, and the long-bladed knife came up a naked threat. At the same moment, Estrella's knife was in his hand. Ah, you brought your toothpick, said Mufrid. He poised his weapon and looked down its length at Estrella. Well, I brought an appropriate weapon to the knife fight. I found it in Oron's desk. Persuasive, isn't it? He circled the tip of the knife hypnotically, but Estrella looked past its gleaming blade at how Mufrid was moving. "'Clever lad,' 
He knows to watch the man, not the weapon. I can make something of you. You could be what I was looking for when I adopted two sons, one weak and the other a thieving mutineer. You can become my navigator. Just give me the stone and my clasp will light up again, and then we can continue the wandering together, as the family should. It won't work, Mufrid. It never did, said Estrella. I'll make it work, Mufrid screamed at Estrella like a thwarted child. You will do as I say, or I'll flay that girl behind you before your eyes. Estrella, don't listen to him. Lindy's warning came from behind his left shoulder. Estrella's concentration wavered. He glanced away from Mufrid, who was moving cat-like towards him, and saw Lindy head high above him in the longboat, the oar in her hands as a weapon. Behind her wind-blown hair, Estrella saw the sea darken. High above, he glimpsed the tell-tale pennant at the masthead flail about, and then stream out to its full length, blowing seaward instead of landward. "'Jibe!' he shouted. "'Where jibe?' Mufrid aimed his knife-tip at Estrella's eyes. "'Trying the old look-behind-you trick, eh?' Mufrid said scornfully. Cold wind from the mountains blasted through the gap and hit the lower half of the mainsail even as the sea-wind continued to fill its upper third. The canvas twisted into the shape of an hourglass. Further forward, the sudden gust hammered the jib aback. In quick succession the foresails slammed across, two split and tore, as their booms scythed across the deck, smashing everything in their paths. Ropes snapped, wood broke, and loose objects became flying threats. Cygnus' mainsail folded up on itself at the point where the two winds sheared, one high, one low. The boom swung skyward, wavered, dropped, and then flew across the stern deck from port to starboard, where the sheets stopped it with a slam that shook the entire ship, taking her into a scupper-filling heel to starboard. Waves crested over the lee rail as the main boom scored a white line across the waves. The longboat slid from its cradle and skidded sideways across the deck to crash against the ship's rail, its mast snapped off just above head height. An instant later it was joined by a skimmer that had broken from its lashings. Everyone reacted by clutching at anything that might offer a handhold. Mufrid, still intent on attacking, somehow remained upright near the high side of the precipitously slanting deck. "'Lindy!' Estrella yelled. The shock took him to his knees and slid him leeward towards the longboat. He grabbed the boat's broken gunwale, pulled himself to his feet, and looked in. Lindy was on hands and knees, struggling to get free of the tangled sail, ropes, and shards of wood. "'My foot's caught,' she gasped. Estrella slid his knife into the sail to cut her loose. "'Behind you!' she shouted. Estrella whirled around, knife at the ready. Mufrid came towards him, but before he could get half the way across the quarter-deck, sudden as it had begun, the gust was over. The boom swung overhead a second time, as the ship heeled over in the opposite direction, the mainsail filling with the sea-wind that had been urging her north. Again Mufrid was caught unprepared. He staggered backwards, clutched at the wheelhouse, missed, and fell against the port railing. Cygnus swerved back to her original course, her deck a shambles of broken gear. Fallen people struggled to get back to where they had been. Mufrid's head came up, 
but before he could get to his feet the top of Seafoam's mast slid into view. A grapple flew through the air, trailing its rope. It thumped onto the deck and scraped towards the scupper where it stuck. A head, topped with red hair, rose over the rail. A pair of very blue eyes fixed on Estrella. "'Strayer!' shouted Red Ian, and climbed over the rail, a fisherman's gaff in one hand. "'Watch out!' Estrella yelled. The warning came too late. The big man swung his improvised weapon in a wild attempt to parry Mufrid's slashing attack. The gaff's metal tip curved downward and stuck in the deck. Red Ian fell towards it, the long knife in his shoulder. "'No!' Lindy screamed. Mufrid tugged his knife clear. Blood spurted from the wound and pooled onto the deck. As Mufrid advanced towards Estrella, blood dripping from the tip of his blade, Damon and Cam climbed over the rail behind him. Cam bent over Red Ian, and Damon stood guard in front of both of them, his knife drawn. "'Now I'll have what is mine,' said Mufrid, breathing hard as he turned towards Estrella. Estrella tried to free Lindy, but she pushed him away. Mufrid advanced slowly, menacingly, looking for an advantage, as Estrella stepped between him and Lindy. Then Mufrid's attention wavered as a sudden movement caught his eye. Arneb was charging unsteadily towards him in a crouching run, his knife held low. "'Blast him, Estrella!' he shouted as he ran past Estrella. Time expanded for Estrella. Everything slowed, including his own body. He reached out to stop the inevitable clash between the two men, but could only watch as Arneb and Mirak closed with each other. To Estrella's time-altered vision, the two of them moved slowly, as if they were wading leg-deep in water. Arneb lunged, Mufrid sidestepped, poised like a dancer, his bloody knife catching the light. He turned and thrust downward as Arneb stabbed up. Estrella saw blood jet from Arneb's neck, and as his body fell to the deck, Estrella began what Arneb had told him to do. Estrella! Lindy's oar flew towards Mufrid, but clattered to the deck beside him. Her foot still caught in a tangle. She almost fell headlong. "'You're for later, girl.' He stepped deliberately over Arneb's body, his mouth agape, the lips drawn back from his teeth, the muscles of his neck like whipcords under the skin. Estrella had abundant time to pull out the metal egg, thumb open the top, and hold up the gleaming shipstone. "'Here it is, Mufrid.' "'Too late for bargains, little thief. "'Time for you to die. "'Take it!' "'He lobbed the shipstone out of its metal egg. "'It flew in a bright green arc at Mufrid, "'who caught it reflexively in his gloved left hand. "'He staggered, recovered, "'and ignoring Estrella, advanced towards Lindy, "'his knife-point at eye height. "'I have the stone, and shortly I will have your cooperation, little cousin, soft little cousin, but not as soft as the skin on this blonde girl who means so much to you, skin that I will slit with such skill that her screams will inspire you to do exactly as I command.' For the longest moment in his life Estrella stood transfixed, and as Mufrid's eyes focused on Lindy, the spell broke. Estrella raised his left arm, the stone in his clasp, a cold fire aimed at the shipstone in Mufrid's fist. 
Estrella reached for all the energy he had ever felt when working at the plotting table. He willed the stone to pulse as he had done when trying to reach Lindy from Cygnus, and then redoubled his effort. Estrella's vision dimmed, and as he slumped onto one knee he saw that Lindy, too, had her arm up and her clasp pointed at Mufred. Mufred was only a pace from her when his knife fell onto the deck. His eyes stared blankly, and the veins in his forehead bulged. He clutched at his left arm, and immediately let go as if his clasp had burned through his jacket into his palm. Mufrid jerked, twitched, tried to take a step, stiffened grotesquely, and fell. A knife flew through the air where he had been standing. The shipstone rolled out of his hand towards Estrella, and he scooped it into its protective egg and closed the lid. A wave of exhaustion swept over him. He glanced about him for his knife, stared into Mufrid's contorted face for longer than he wanted, and then got to his feet awkwardly. His hands shook as he put the egg into his jacket pocket. He looked up and saw Lindy, standing in the shattered longboat, leaning on a boat hook. Her blonde hair was tousled, the left sleeve of her shirt was rolled back, her clasp gleamed with a fierce light, and there was a long smudge across one cheek. Below her on the deck lay Mirak. She looked down at him with satisfaction. Lindy, Estrella murmured as their eyes met. He struggled to his feet and went unsteadily towards her. Mufrid's dead? she asked, looking down at him from the longboat. Estrella nodded. There could be no mistaking the unblinking, sightless eyes. Arneb? Estrella nodded again. Mirak isn't, said Lindy. I didn't hit him hard enough. Pity. He's waking up. I've killed my father, Dabby gasped. Estrella and Lindy wrenched their gaze away from each other's eyes to where Dabby stood frozen, his left arm still raised in the same position as they had just held. They realized that Dabby must have contributed the power of his clasp as well, probably enhanced by the shipstone in Cygnus' forbidden room a deck below. Mufrid had been at the center of a blast of concentrated energy from three shipstones focused by three clasps. You have been listening to the Estrella Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit estreatrilogy.com for more about Estrella's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.